Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, September 5th, 2022. I know it's Monday morning, but can we start with a hard truth that we need to be uh, exhorted to from time to time? And that is, get over yourself. So many of our problems in life really can come from us thinking too highly of ourselves, expecting more than we deserve, feeling entitled to certain things, instead of really seeing uh, ourselves in the proper place and really understanding that it is all about God. I want us to, to see some about this lesson today as we look at 2 Kings, especially chapter 5, but today we're looking at 2 Kings 4 and 5. And I want us to draw some lessons from the different characters, especially in 2 Kings 5, to help us to get over ourselves and help us to see. And I know that as we read the Old Testament, the, the point of the Old Testament isn't just, okay, look at every story and learn the moral lessons from each character, but there are times where we do see examples that can be helpful to us, either by way of warning, nah, don't do this, or more in a positive light. And I also think we'll see in 2 Kings 5 really the bigger picture of the story, the familiar story there as we look at it. So 2 Kings chapter 4, we come back to the story of Elisha. And we see Elisha here, we talked about him taking up the mantle for um, Elijah, and really we see the fruit of that in chapter 4, because the chapter 4 really records a a series of uh, miracles that Elisha performs, whether it's the the widow's oil that uh, never runs out, or this Shunammite woman who he promises a son to, and then when that son is born, at some point as a child, the son dies. Dies, and Elisha raises the son from the dead, performing an incredible miracle that Elijah had also performed. And then we see him purifying this deadly stew. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you've had some cooking where you, you want to quote uh, 2 Kings 4.40, where it says, Oh man of God, there is death in the pot. Um, but when you are thinking that, it's likely not as serious as this was, as this was probably more literal, that something had been put in the stew that uh, could be poisonous, and we see him purify the stew. But then we get to chapter 5, where we'll spend most of our time, and this tells the story, and uh, some stories in the Bible seem to have made their way more into the mainstream of, of culture, or um, you, you know they, they become popular in, in Sunday school curriculums or, or picture Bibles, and so they're more familiar stories, and this is one of those. It's the story of Naaman, who gets healed of his leprosy. Now, Naaman is the commander of the army of the king of Syria. That was a big deal. He was a very important person. And even uh, that he was, Syria was not always friendly towards the, the God's people. Uh, but we see here, he is this important man. And, and even God, it says, by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. So he is a successful man. He is a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So he has leprosy, this uh, 
skin disease that can be quite bad, but also it, it seems that it made you somewhat of an outcast because it was highly contagious, and so you would not be able to be around other people. Uh, it would have a very negative effect on your life, and is in this case a a career. And so he uh, wants to uh, be cured of this, obviously, but there's this uh, servant girl who was from Israel that is now a servant to uh, in Naaman's house and uh, to Naaman's wife. And she says, hey, there's a prophet. We, we need to find this prophet in Israel um, because he will cure Naaman. And then you probably know some of the story um, as he finally gets to uh, Elisha. Uh, he he comes and Elisha doesn't even go out of his house to meet him in verse nine. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots, right? He comes with his entourage and his pomp and splendor. And he stood at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sends a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Then he starts going on about, don't we have nicer rivers in Damascus? Yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. I'm upset about this. And it says that he went away in a rage. And that's where he needs to be told, hey, Naaman, get over yourself. And that's what his servants, good on his servants here. They come and say, um, he, he told you to do something simple. You know, they're saying, hey, if he had come out with all this pomp and circumstance and told you, hey, go climb this high mountain or do this courageous thing and then you will be healed. Wouldn't you have done it? He just told you to go wash and be clean. Why don't you just go wash and be clean, Naaman? And so to his credit, he listens and he goes and he dips himself seven times in the Jordan and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And then he comes back to Elisha and he wants to give Elisha a bunch of presents. He wants to reward Elisha, uh, probably lavishly, but Elisha says, no, I'm not going to receive anything from you. And even being urged, he refuses. And then the story has somewhat of a sad ending because at the end of the story, Gehazi, who is the servant of Elisha, he goes after Naaman and he concocts this story to, to, you know, to get something from Naaman. He's thinking, what is Elisha doing? Why is he turning down this gift? And Gehazi is maybe thinking, if he gives Elisha a gift, I'm going to get a cut of that. Why is Elisha saying no? And so he goes to get something for himself. And Naaman, he gives Gehazi something. But as soon as Gehazi gets back, Elisha says to him in verse 25, where have you been, Gehazi? And he says, your servant went nowhere. So Gehazi multiple times in this passage lies uh, to get what he wants and then to cover up what he wants. And you see the grief this causes Elisha. And then he really, he says that the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So Gehazi ends up um, with leprosy like uh, Naaman had. So here we see somewhat the negative examples, at least initially, of Naaman and then also of Gehazi. Uh, Naaman at first, 
he couldn't handle uh, really just the, the humility that was required in the situation. He couldn't stand that Elisha wouldn't come out and talk to him. Uh, because he's an important guy. So Elisha should come talk to me and and Elisha should tell me something great to do because I'm a great warrior, soldier. Uh, I just got to go wash in some river. Uh, He needed to get over himself and he does in this story, but that's where lots of times in our lives, we need to get over ourselves. We might not have the problem of leprosy, but we might have a spiritual problem. And, And, you know, it might be, you know, as simple as we need to confess our sin. Whether it's to God or to somebody else, we need to just go and do that. And sometimes you need to get over yourself and just go do it. Uh, And then we also see the example here of Gehazi, again, a negative example. Someone who really was, he he wanted to know what he could get out of the situation. And he stoops to manipulation and lies to get something out of the situation for himself. He was out for himself. And that's not who God calls us to be. But then we see Elisha just serving the Lord, uh, not seeking credit, not seeking glory, not seeking reward, just doing what God has called him to do. And I hope that is an example to us. And and we see also, um, we see Naaman's response. And, And that's really the big picture that I don't want us to miss just by looking at the positive example of Elisha and the negative examples of Naaman and Gehazi. Uh, look at what Naaman says when he is cleansed. He says, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. That That's really, uh, this story is not ultimately about Naaman and what we can learn from him or Elisha and what we can learn from him. The, the point of the story is ultimately there is no God, but the true God, but the God of Israel, that there is no God, but the God of the Bible. And and that's something that should inform our faith today. And we should worship God as a result of seeing his power displayed. And we should know, man, all the idols of the world amount to nothing, but we serve a God who is mighty and we serve a God who is powerful. Let's not miss that point. And that's part of the reason why we need to get over ourselves because it's not about us. It's ultimately about God. Now let's look at Romans chapter 11. And just a couple things to note, uh, just one maybe more theological note and a couple practical things uh, or things just maybe to remember that should result in our own hearts as we read this passage. One, on a more theological note, Romans chapter 11 is uh, just one of many places in scripture that lead me to believe that God is not done with the nation of Israel. Uh, any idea that a Israel is gone and the church is now here and, and all the promises to Israel are fulfilled in the church. Uh, while some Christians may, may teach that, I do not agree on that particular subject. When it comes to uh, Israel and, and the church, I, I believe that God still has a future for the nation of Israel. And, and we see that uh, even in this passage, uh, we know right now God's not done with Israel because as, as Paul says here, there is still a remnant of, of Jewish people that are saved. Uh, but then we see towards the end of the chapter, he speaks of a, in verse 25, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the, f- the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the del- deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And I, I think even just some of the things when it says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Uh, 
um, that we're reminded that God is not done. And I think through Daniel, through uh, Revelation, we, we see even in the future, in the end times, that there's going to be a great work that is done amongst the people of Israel. And that's this is one of the passages that leads me to believe that. But a couple things just to make sure we don't miss in this chapter. Uh, one, think of verse 22. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Uh, that's something we should take to heart, the kindness and the severity of God. And that's something that should always keep us humble. And that's part of what he's communicating to the Gentiles here. Hey, don't get cocky. Don't think you're all awesome because you have figured it out. Uh, No, if you uh, do not continue in this grace, you will see the severity of God. And also, whether we've talked about the sovereignty of God in Romans 9, or we get into this with Israel and the church, and these are things that, you know, there's lots of books written on these subjects. These are things that Christians can can disagree about. Let's not miss the end of chapter 11, where it ends really with this doxology of praise, saying, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. If we ever get too far off in our theology that we think we we can explain it all and there's not this sense of, wow, look at God. Look at his wisdom. How can we ever fathom fathom his wisdom? wisdom. Uh, We've missed something. So again, let's learn some practical lessons today, but let's leave today in awe of God. There is no God, but uh, this God, and there's no one like him, and we will never uh, begin to fully understand the depths of his wisdom and riches and knowledge. So let's worship him today for that. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.